Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. What's happening, Dave? We are back for episode 46 of Plastic Model Mojo. The post-Nats buzz is still strong. I'm telling you. Same here. Still still lingering around a little bit, but uh, what's been going on in your model sphere since uh, episode 45? Well, actually, I've ma- I made some progress thanks to you and a, a couple of uh, listeners. Uh, we got on a uh, essentially a Zoom call, and we're all doing work at our bench uh, the other night, and it actually got me to make some significant progress on the TU-128. So uh, that helped me. That that kind of kept my mojo going from the coming back from the Nationals. How about you? You know, to be honest, I think I'm down off the big high from 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 uh, the Nationals trip and rested up. But I'm you know I'm highly motivated, and I've I've thought a lot about our road show because we got some shows in the region coming up. Uh, I hope to get to some of those. Yeah. And I picked up some uh, new headphones to solve our head jerk woes. We had uh, our short cabled headphones that we were cobbling together there to use for a road show. Yeah. And I was also wondering if if. <laughs> If this is turning into like a, a Nats to Nats fiscal year developing for all of us in Podland, <laughs> if, if that's going to be the bookends for a, for a, a, oh, a year, <laughs> I, th- I, I think that's absolutely what it's going to turn into. Because and, and and it's almost natural when you think about it. the The Nats is the single biggest contest in North America every year, and. You know, it's naturally the place that is of the most interest to many of our listeners. So, yeah, I do think we will probably, you know, we we started on January 1st a year ago. And so our first season was January to December. And then this season, January of 2021, theoretically to December of 2021. But yeah, no, our real the real marking of the seasons is going to be national to national from here on out. I suspect <laughs> sure shaping up that way. Yeah. Well, Vegas was awesome time, but you know, I think, uh, given all the cross pollination post NAS across the podcast, we pre milked this one for, for all we can. I think it's time to turn the page and forward forge ahead. I think. Well, and we've got stuff coming up, man. We've got well, a lot of do. stuff coming up. So there, there's no shortage of subjects. There's no shortage of contests. Heck there are uh, three close by us in the next 60 days. I mean, that's it's, right. It's, it's going to be a good time and it'll give us a chance to, to take what we learned at the Nats as far as podcast recording and, and polish it up a bit. All right. Well, we'll take, we'll, we'll do that. Mike, uh, do you happen to have a modeling fluid on hand? I do. It is uh, an interesting one. It's uh, a bourbon, a Texas bourbon, Texas straight bourbon whiskey uh, from uh, Garrison Brothers. Yes. Is the label. And this comes to us uh, from listener Rob Booth down in Texas. Made good on his promise. And uh, we're going to check it out here. Yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, 
That happens to be my modeling fluid as well. Mr. Booth was very kind and shipped Mike and I uh, a bottle, uh, each a bottle. And uh, I will admit to you something weird. This is the first bourbon I've ever had that's been made outside of Kentucky. Oh, okay. I've never had a, a bourbon other than a Kentucky bourbon. Now, this one's from High, H-Y-E, Texas. And it's uh, about fo- it's 47 proof, so it's about 94% alcohol, which is within the standard for most bourbons. It's got a good color. Uh, what do you think? Well, let's work on it a little while and come back to it at the end. Okay. That sounds good. We'll, we'll, we'll come to a conclusion. There we go. All right, Dave. Well... While we were away at Nats and and digging through the post Nats stuff, last episode uh, we've had quite a pile of listener mail, and a lot of it's got some good meat to it, some good good commentary we can fill in between the lines. And uh, what do you say we get into that? That sounds great. And I listen, guys. Thanks for sending the emails. Keep them coming. We really do, as you can tell, read and consider them and talk about them. And uh, it's for us, one of the great benefits for us doing the show is getting to have these mini conversations with uh, with the listeners. So keep them coming. Well, first up is our good friend Hector Cologne up in Chicagoland with the Butch O'Hare chapter up there. And speaking of shows, uh, barring no changes handed down by their local governments up there, the Butch O'Hare IPMS Invitational will be held on Saturday, November 13th, 2021. And we wish Hector the best of luck with that. Hopefully that'll come to fruition. They'll get to have that show and it'll be well attended. If you want the details, you can check it out at www.butchohairmodelclub.com. And Butch O'Hare Model Club is one big long word. Uh, and it's all right there on the homepage, right, right in front. It's got all the show information. So uh, check that out. I've actually been to the Butch O'Hare show on a couple occasions. The last time was like three or four years ago, went with uh, Terry Hill and Rich Giddig from our club uh, up there. And it was a, it was a great time, man. Well, up next is uh, Mr. Chris Gagan and he didn't provide us a geo, but that's okay. Please remember to do that folks. If you write in, we just like to know where folks are listening from. Uh, he asks, what do we do if we cannot find the markings for the subject we wish to do? Do we print our own, contract out someone else, or just move on to another subject? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, the truthful answer is a combination of all three. If I find a subject I want to do and there are no decals for that particular, let's say in this case, an aircraft, you know, a lot of times you can cobble them together from other sheets. Lord knows I've, I know on particular models, I've not just used one decal sheet, but as many as three or four taking pieces here and pieces there. Now, if it has some special marking that's not going to be anywhere, some, some logo, some personalized marking, then, you know, I don't print my own decals. Uh, I don't have an Alps printer. I don't, uh, Never dived into that very big, but there are, uh, you know, aftermarket folks that you can contact to do that sort of thing. If there's a lot of markings that are unique, yeah, I may just say, you know what, I've got enough to build in the stash, so I'm going to go do something else and hope that eventually one of these decal manufacturers comes out with the set of markings I want. Lord knows I got enough decal sheets. Well, I think at this point, those Alps dye sublimation printers are kind of unicorns. 
Yes, I mean, they those, are. Those are like 15, 18 years down the road now. Uh, you know, seems like Dave Goldfinch over at On the Bench had some some kind of NASA markings printed from somebody for that uh, escape, that M113 personnel carrier they used for, to yeah. evacuate the launch pad. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. You might contact him and see how that precipitated. I, I don't really know. I, when I was into model railroading, I had some sets custom printed. But, you know, when you do that, through a standard decal printer, uh, you're usually talking 1500 or more sets. So it's gotta be with those subjects. I would need several of my own use and I knew I could sell the rest. So a unique aircraft might be a little different sometimes. That's, that's, a, that's a tough call. And, and I don't know what options are out there. I know they still sell like decal paper you can use in, in some inkjet printers now, right. but the, pro- the problems with those is, is you can't print white. Right. And if you have something you can trim really close easily, you can leave clear space and ha- get the white decal paper, but that doesn't, doesn't work all the time. That's right. Not gonna get, that's not, that's going to be problematic in, in most cases, I would say. Uh, I don't know, man, you know, as an armor guy, I don't have to deal with this too much. So, <laughs> well, wait a minute. There, those, all those Russian tanks had those slogans on them, didn't they? Uh, not all of them. <laughs> <laughs> And most of the fun ones have been done already. Yeah. Uh, next up, Tom Choi. Uh, he didn't give me a geo either, but I think if I remember cl- correctly, he's from California somewhere, maybe. If I'm wrong, Tom, write back in and let us know. Uh, we met Tom in Vegas. He came up to the table. And I just wanted to give Tom a shout out because it's just kind of a testament to the whole web of connections and people you meet through various aspects of your life. Um, Tom's the one you had the conversation with about being adoptive parents. Yeah. Uh, just a nice conversation you guys got to have on the side. I thought that was kind of cool. Yep. It, it really was, uh, uh, you know, again, like I said, one of the things about going to the nationals and, and actually having people who listen, come up and talk to us is that again, you have that immediate already made connection. You're both modelers. You're, you're, you're both geeked out about the same subject, but inevitably, you know, so you start you talking freely right away. And then what happens is you find out you have something else in common, adoptive parents or, uh, you know, a spouse in the airline industry or, or whatever that happens to be. And it just, it makes the connections that much quicker and that much stronger. Well, good. I'm glad he, he came by the table and you guys got to have that little unrelated conversation yep. to modeling anyway. So get yep. to know somebody. Yep. Uh, Stefano Orsi from, uh, La Vise, Quebec. He wants Dr. Miller's help painting Italian smoke rings in 70 seconds scale. <laughs> now that is a good suggestion. Dr. Miller has done that. So I'm sure he will, he, he can give you great advice. Uh, or you can go to Mike Grant's website and buy his Italian smoke ring decal sheet. <laughs> they met they actually do mike grant was the first one but i think several several uh manufacturers now actually make those smoke ring camouflage markings as as a decal sheet so that you don't have to airbrush them because they are wickedly difficult to airbrush i bet dr miller can do it so folks he can i know it for a fact Folks, send more questions and we'll get those off to Dr. Miller. He's the one they call Dr. Strangebrush. Yep. And he's the one that makes you paint all right. Another Canadian up next, uh, Mr. Jean Graton from Ottawa, Canada. 
I wonder if he knows Ian, Chris, and Evan. Probably so. I, I, it, Ottawa's big, but it's not that big. <laughs> uh, he says when he reads, his brain puts famous faces with the characters in a book or whatever, or whatever he needs to make a mental image of. And he says podcasts are no different. So I'm going to read this. Now, I was pondering on something this week. Have you ever read a book or pictured a character in your head? This happens to me on a regular basis. I'll picture a famous actor in my mind that fits fits the character. Well, the same thing happens listening to podcasts. In lieu of photos of you guys, my brain associates these in. Mike, somehow you've come out as Mike Zapsick from TV's Comic Book Men. Your voice kind of reminds me of this character. Mike is about the sanest, most down-to-earth guy in a cast of oddballs. Now, are you talking about Comic Book Men or Plastic Model Mojo there? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think he's talking about Comic Book Men. I've seen, I, actually, I am too. I've actually seen the show. <laughs> now for Dave. Oh, it's God. a very clear picture. Imagining Edward G. Robinson sitting by a fireplace in a smoking jacket and a fine glass of modeling fluid. <laughs> oh, that was so mu- that could have been so much worse, man. I was <laughs> dreading what was going to get dropped. Uh, uh, no, although this although this does give me the chance to brag that a listener and his wife came up to the table in Vegas. And he talked to us. His wife actually found the podcast and introduced him to it. She's not a modeler, but she listens to podcasts. And when he listens to them, they do it in the car, and she has to listen as well. And her statement to me was, I was much more handsome than I sounded, which at first I took as a compliment. But upon reflection, I'm not sure. I'm not 100% sure. But I'll hey, you, me and the word handsome, I'll take it. Take what you can get, man. Edward G. Robinson, that's that's great with that works for me next is rock rosak now rock is the vice president over at detail and scale for all you wingnuts yes uh rock caught on to your affinity for late war navy geo markings dave yes uh that was a great email yes and he mentions a book uh, u.s navy marine carrier-based aircraft of world war ii and apparently this is a ebook kindle kind of thing yes detail and scale used to do actual physical hard books. And I think you can still order them that way if you want. But now they got really big into um, doing eBooks. And I think almost all of their line now, their new stuff is all eBook. Well, I forwarded you that. And I don't know if you've got that or not, but you can, I you, did. Can, you, you can take it from there. Yes, I will. I'll reach out to him because that man, that looks awesome. And with the with the Arma Wildcat F4Fs coming out, the opportunities for that between that and the FM2 are are pretty darn great. Another no geo, uh, Ted Kawahara, and he just said he was thankful to meet us at the seminar that breakout roundtable we had. Um, Ted, that was Scott Gentry's idea over at the Plastic Posse podcast, and uh, we are just so grateful for his selflessness and his selfless desire to include all of us, meaning the guys over at Model Geeks and then Plastic Model Mojo, Dave, and myself. Uh, To be honest, that was one of the high points of my trip, and it was a pleasure to meet you too, and that was just a lot of fun. It was. That was was just a really fun time and a really fun way to interact, and Scott really did – go above and beyond and reaching out to all of us who had no clue he was going to do it. And it turned out to be a real fun time. Gary Sousmacat from Williamsport, Pennsylvania. 
Uh, he took hold of our yellowing topic from our Nats coverage. He's, I'm going to get a lot of tips on this. That was a good segment to run. He uses Mr. Color 329 yellow with a touch of red and a touch of white. And he says he gets really good coverage with this. Now, I need to cross-reference that with uh, the yellow that the gentleman we talked to spoke with uh, at the show used. because mm-hmm. he I think he used a Mr. Color as well. Because he mentioned he didn't like the Tamiya yellow, didn't like the color, didn't like the coverage. And he was using a Mr. Color. I'm almost certain. I'll have to go back and listen to our own episode. But... <laughs> uh, there's, there's probably a yellowing or two in my distant future, so I need to start. The not so, not so distant future. I don't know. The the first ones out of the shoot are going to be blues, blues and grays. On that same theme, because I know you like yellow wings too, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. Brian Dinklow, he comes to us quite a bit through our Facebook Messenger. Yeah. Uh, Brian, I, I want to say you're in New York. I can't remember. I know you're up east somewhere, but keep the messages coming. We'll sort that out. He also brought up painting yellow and he sent me a picture of a 32nd scale Messerschmitt 109 he's been working on. And it's some good stuff. Uh, now he does a lot of sci- sci-fi, so I don't know if this is a pivot toward historical models because you probably saw the post. He's also getting ready to do a, uh, a run of uh, American uh, torpedo and dive bombers. Yep. Uh, but clearly talented. Very mm-hmm. talented. Um, Absolutely. Uh, he says he undercoats yellow with a shade of pink. Lord knows there are so many different recommendations for what you put under yellow to make it pop or to make it uh, uh, cover well. Yellow is just a miserable color to paint. And I've heard of people who paint and prime black. I've heard people paint and prime white. I've heard people paint and prime gray. I've heard red. I've heard pink. I had one weird one where it was either green, a light green, or a light blue. It seems like everybody's got their own special yellow tip for putting something under to get the yellow to cover and pop. Yep. I think you're right. So, you know, I've been playing around with color a lot lately. Maybe, maybe that's, this is in my future. Trying trying some of these things. I guess it's going to be, if I'm going to do a yellowing that I want to look good. And you can post them all on our Facebook page and all these comparisons, you know, have 20, you, you, you can do that thing that they do on, on the internet now where you take a bunch of plastic spoons and you you paint them all different primer colors and then you paint the yellow over them and then you hold them all up. So (laughs) you've got, you've got that in your future. Uh, Maybe we'll see. I also want to say that Brian and his troop up there have a podcast called Built Sideways, and they're about three episodes in, I think, into their own adventure in Podland. So I encourage you to check out Built Sideways. And uh, Brian, straight to you, if if this thing looks like it's going to stick and get some traction, uh, send uh, Stuart Clark an email up at uh, Scale Model Podcast and see if you want to get in on our little uh, consortium website to get uh, get some uh, some coverage. Uh, I'm sure we'd be glad to add you. Oh, here's a fun one, Dave. Okay, I'm going to strap in. All right. Dan Knopfel and his son, Hank, who who are from Las Vegas, Nevada. Yep. And uh, they came by the show, Dan and his wife and his son, Hank. And Hank's like, what, 10? Something like that. I think it was. Yeah, I think so. I think it was around 10 or 11, something in that range. Well, he'd written in pre-Nats about, you know, tips on taking a, a young gentleman to, to such a show and- uh, I was I was half joking and half serious. I told him to let Hank make his own deals. 
because they go better in his favor. Oh, yeah. And uh, so Dan confirms that Hank got several deals when he whipped out his Bob's Burger wallet and uh, did the negotiation. And that's great. Uh, he took three second place awards in preteen category and is already talking about Omaha. So, okay, man. We've got him hooked. Full stop. Right now, we got a groundswell of folks debating, judging, to be polite. Here we have a 10-year-old looking a year out for his second nationals. I mean, let's, let's back up and look at the forest for a while. Sometimes you take and it takes a child's perspective. It was fantastic. Uh, I need to post. We actually, I took a picture of you and them. Uh, at the at the nationals and i need to put that on our facebook page well we need everyone who took a picture of us or them with us or whatever to send those in i asked i requested we got a couple uh but i know there are a lot more than that taken so if if folks out there took a picture with us at our table in the vendor room send it in we'd like to see it we'd like to keep keep record of those absolutely and i'm going to post that picture uh in the in the next day or so uh so it'll be up on our web, on our facebook page cuz that that young man is going places and modeling well good for him keep it up hank hope you get all those kits built you bought cuz i bet you bought a lot yep ah peter kulos from point pleasant beach new jersey uh, enjoyed our nats coverage and he mentions how mr vargas was a big splash at the show and wonders if the 3D print thing is the way forward. Uh, it is part of the way forward. I don't think it's going to torpedo the plastic model industry in any sort of way anytime soon, if ever. The big takeaway I want to get from Peter's email is he would love to see more American Civil War subjects. And Mr. Vargas hinted to me in conversation that he may be doing a series of American Civil War ordinance to kind of replace the old VLS blue and gray line. Yeah. And those things uh, I've got, I have an interest in the civil war. So I actually have uh, a number of those blue and gray line artillery kits and which are really nice, but of course they're no longer available. Heck, I don't even know if the molds survived or, or the masters. Um, but I would, I'll, I'll be looking forward to seeing him dive into that area. Yeah. And there's still a lot more to do. Oh, I think so. And I'm sure they'll be great if, if Mr. Vargas kicks those out. Yeah. He, so keep keep your finger crossed, Peter. We'll hopefully hopefully those will come to fruition. We'll get to see some of that. Because I like it too. And that might just push me over the edge. <laughs> <laughs> so many things push you over the edge, man. Coming in next is uh Jerry Escobedo from San Antonio, Texas from the Alamo Squadron IPMS chapter. Jerry forwarded us an article about Scale Model Podcast and the Scale Model Podcast scene, and it was authored by our uh, chocolate milk modeling fluid minister friend, Chris McLean, yep. who we also met at Nationals. Uh, it was a real nice article, guys. I appreciate it. Um, Dave, I'm sure you do, too. Yes, absolutely. That was uh, uh, very complimentary. And, uh, you know, again, the, the fact that people listen to you and, mo- you and me talk about modeling it just never ceases to amaze me and the the friendships we've gained and the interaction we get it it makes worth it makes this worth doing well i need to get that emailed off to a few that he did not have links for i'll try to get that done jerry and uh, chris but uh, nice to meet you chris and thanks for the forward jerry I, that was a you got a well done newsletter uh top to bottom actually so yes and, yeah they uh, do we we're speaking from experience dave yes <laughs> that's right <laughs> Ah, Dave Weiss from the Glue Bomb Show on YouTube. 
says the Nats coverage made him add that show to his bucket list. Oh, absolutely. It ought ought to be on anybody's bucket list. One of the great kicks that I got was seeing uh, so many people who were experiencing their first Nats. The guys at Plastic Posse Podcast who'd never been to a Nats before, it was it was really really neat to see them experience their first nats and how because it's not something if you've never been it's not something you can picture in your mind it really is just an amazing experience now dave's uh youtube channel the glue bomb show is he says it's kind of geared toward new modelers and he does some uh reviews crack the box all the way through build and kind of summarizes it at the end uh he's into like ed big daddy roth and tom daniel and the weirdos and all that kind of stuff uh you don't see a lot of that but there's you know that's a lot of nostalgia there from from the 60s uh uh car and hot rod and and, uh custom bike scene you know and that kind of ties into what the the guys uh, at atlantis are doing oh yeah capitalizing on that nostalgia because everybody you know there, I, I built a couple of those when, when I was a kid, uh, and, and those really weird Ed Roth or whatever, uh, custom cars are just pass who had built them before wouldn't, wouldn't want to do that again. Uh, Dave, Dave's, uh, mantra on his, uh, show, the, or the glue bomb show is, uh, remember modeling is supposed to be fun. So have fun. Thank God. You know, it's, it, it seems like there are some people in our hobby who just, they, they lose sight of that fact. They lose sight of the fact that it's a hobby and it's gotta be fun. If it's not fun, it's a job and who needs another job? Well, he's 85 episodes into his fun and uh, we'll put, we'll put a link in the show notes. I have to go check that out. Check it out, man. And finally, at the end of this long stack, uh, we've got Brian Colt. He's got no geography, but he can't be far away because he's in the uh, distribution umbrella of Three Floyds Brewing. Oh, good. Well, he sent us a picture of Barbarian Hayes IPA, which is the one that looks like the Tamiya. The Easy Fox. 8 kit. The Easy 8 kit. Yeah, the Easy 8 kit. And we're, we are quite familiar with that one. In fact, Three Floyds failed to respond to our first overture, so I think it's about time for another one. Yes, I think we need to reach out again because we've been selling their beer left and right, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's it for listener mail. If you want to write into the show and uh, give us something to jaw on about a little bit, uh, you can do so at uh, plasticmodelmojo at gmail.com. Well, this is the point in the episode where I ask you to please, when you're done with this episode, If you take a moment, if you'd rate us in whatever podcasting app that you're listening to us, Stitcher, iTunes, whatever, rate the podcast, give us five stars, please. It will help raise the visibility of the podcast so that other people can discover it. And also, if you like what you're hearing, if you enjoy joining us bi-weekly to to spend an hour, hour and a half talking modeling, tell a friend. You, you know, you, you modelers, you know, somebody who models as well, who isn't listening to podcasts right now, turn them on to us. That's the best way for us to gain new listeners. And we've been gaining a lot of new listeners lately. So a lot of you people have been doing what I ask and I want to thank you for it because it's, it's, there's nothing more gratifying than seeing new listeners coming into, to our podcast feed. 
And we also encourage you to check out all the other podcasts. And uh, we've made that easy for you now with the help of Stuart Clark at uh, Scale Model Podcast. You can go to Model Podcasts plural.com model podcast with an s.com and there you'll find links to all the other podcasts out there in pod in the pod space and you know we talked to Stu a little bit last week when we were guests on his show and hopefully soon he's going to be trying to flesh that out to pick up the next thing I'm, I'm going to talk about and that's all our blog and youtube friends out there so uh we've got jeff groves with the inch high guy all things 72nd scale and jeff we hope to see you around the region this fall man it's it's coming it's coming up quick I've been emailing with him, and he is going to be at the Louisville show. Ah, so we'll see him very soon at the end of the month. Yes. Yep. Uh, Chris Wallace out of Canada, model airplane maker, his blog and YouTube channel. Keep it up, Chris. You're doing great stuff. He just as uh, we we got a a instant message from him as we were recording this episode that he's dropped a new uh, YouTube video. So go check it out. Stephen Lee, Sprue Pie with Frets, another great blog out there. Got some great content, some long form stuff that's fun to read and, and to ponder about. And I also want to thank you, Stephen, for having these old Southern farts backs, man. Also, we'd, be, we'd just be rambling on. Exactly. <laughs> Jim Bates, a Scale Canadian TV video blog on Facebook. And uh, I guess he's, he's still doing his other blog, his, his t- text blog. Yes, he's got a regular blog. He's got a YouTube channel, uh, and uh, he shows up on Facebook in our feeds and some other feeds. And he also just happens to be the social media manager for IPMS Canada. And folks can also look for Jim to be starring in the reboot of The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. <laughs> yep. Well, that will, we will follow that with, with pleasure. <laughs> Well, that's my plugs, Dave. What else you got? Uh, Finally, I would like to ask everyone who isn't already a member of their national chapter, IPMS USA for folks here in the U.S. or IPMS Canada for folks up north in America's hat, please join your national chapter. Uh, The the national chapters of IPMS do a lot, and a lot of it's behind the scenes to allow us modelers to do things like have contests and go to contests. And they interact with the industry to, uh, you know, give the industry input when, uh, when manufacturers or distributors come to them. So take a little time. It's not very expensive. Uh, IPMS Canada or IPMS USA, you get a very nice magazine as part of your membership. Your chapter also gets an insurance policy if they ha- hold meetings or, uh, hold contests. So, Please join your IPMS National. Well, Dave, this Texas bourbon's got a little heat. I'm yes, gonna go it get does. Going to have to get a cup of water, man. So uh, let's have a word from our sponsor. You got it. Plastic Model Mojo is now brought to you by Model Paint Solutions, your source for harder steam back airbrushes, David Union power tools, and laboratory-grade mixing, measuring, and storage tools for use with all your model paints, be they acrylic, enamels, or lacquers. Check them out at www.modelpaintsolutions.com. All right. We are back, Dave, and it's Wagons Ho for Omaha time. Wagons Ho! <laughs> at the time of this recording, it is 317 days until the wagons roll for Omaha, Nebraska. I cannot wait. Just finished a national. Can't wait to go to my next one. I can't believe what a hot topic this already is. Yeah, yeah. I, you're right, and I, I'm, I am. Well, I think one of the reasons for that is 
Omaha's held the national three previous times, uh, the two most recent, 2011 and 2017, and both of them were fantastic shows. And so I think them having it back again is, is it gives a lot of people a lot of confidence that the, that the success that we saw in Las Vegas is only going to grow uh, when it gets to Omaha. I think so. I think you're right. And uh, I reached out to Chairman Scott Hackney, uh, kind of a little late, almost under the wire there a little bit. I haven't heard back from him. But uh, the one thing we will emphasize right now is that uh, the rooms for this show, for the special rate, are likely to sell out very fast. You need to camp on your PC when the window opens. Yes. It's going to be like buying concert tickets to the Rolling Stones. It it is. And I will tell you that uh, uh, Scott mentioned in in his presentation at the Vegas Nationals that the last time they did it the the room sold out in 2 days and keep in mind they have two hotels not one now it's not a Las Vegas casino but they have two hotels at the venue and uh in 2017 they sold out in 2 days so uh i think the window will open in mid October and when it does, you definitely want to get your room reservation in right away. And I believe that that was one of my tips. If you go back and listen to old episodes, it was one of my tips was if you're going to go to a national, if at all possible, stay in the convention hotel. There are cheaper hotels around, but I'm here to tell you the convenience of being able to go up to your room to be able to drop stuff off, not have to drive back and forth. It really makes it worth every penny. Well, look for more to come. It's still pretty early in the cycle here, and uh, we'll get synced up with, with Scott and uh, bring you all the important dates. Now, do we know when the uh, when the hotel window opens? It's sometime in October. It, it's mid-October. They, the, the October 15th was, I believe, the the date they were using as the go date, but that may shift slightly one way or another as we get close to it. All right. Well, that's Wagon's Hope for Omaha for now. Mike, as if I didn't know, because you've been posting a lot on our Facebook page, what's been going on in your benchtop? Oh, quite a bit. I am uh, through step one of the Mooseroo Cup build. I've got a torso together for my, my, my Gundam high grade kit. Oh, I thought maybe step one was a lots of heavy drinking. <laughs> no, um, folks are right. The Bandai engineering is pretty impressive. I got to admit, I still maintain that engineering alone is not enough to, to sell it to me. It's just not my bag, man. Um, and I see that Mr. Goldfinch is past paint and initial weathering. Uh, we'll see if he holds out uh, when the shots of the others start rolling in because uh, he set a bar whether he intended to or not and a respectable one at that. Uh, it just seems like a good scenario for self-doubt and second-guessing once <laughs> once other folks start posting their stuff. Right. You never you you, you never want to be the first guy to do something. <laughs> I think nobody's going to see mine painted until uh, the end of the game. In addition to that, I've been uh, plinking away at the Zis 2, my 57 millimeter anti-tank gun build, the mini art kit. And, you know, folks are sick and tired of no progress. And frankly, so was I. So I'm happy to report I'm riding a wave of uh, mojo, enthusiasm, motivation, self-discipline, whatever you want to call it. Right. And I got things moving. I got the foam base groundwork framed out. 
and I just need to flesh out the groundwork a little more. That uh, Vallejo textured earth would just kind of get the get the styrofoam covered up. That really doesn't have a lot of bearing on what the what the uh, the end game is going to be. I also made a couple of uh, little test plaques of foam with that same Vallejo on it, so I'm going to kind of play around with different groundworks to see what I like the best before I go too far with that. I think that's going to be a good idea. I did that with that uh, Airfix Bofors and Morris tractor build. I built a couple of uh, little small bases and played around with some techniques and colors on it to get what I wanted. Yeah. Uh, what else? The ammo boxes. Holy crap, Batman. I tell you. <laughs> yep. You took, you took little ammo boxes that are, what, an inch by three quarters of an inch? And man. They're like the size of a commemorative u.s postage stamp literally yeah that's same same footprint about about an inch by three quarters something like that yeah you're right and and man you you turn those into a project oh i have i'm starting to remember why i don't build dioramas because you got to kind of have the same level of completeness and 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 quality through the whole thing right well i think that's a, by the way that's a good point maybe we'll turn that into a, a an episode at some point talking about the fact that you do see dioramas where people do really good intense work on some parts but the the same level of quality is not carried through the entire diorama itself well back to mine um this is the mini art set uh for the 57 and 76.2 millimeter guns the zis 2 zis 3 uh, was graciously donated by a listener, Jim Maddox, who we, all, we also met in Las Vegas. Yes. Wait a uh, minute. You're, te- you're telling me those ammo boxes are for both? The, they use the same ammo box for both the ZIS-2 and the ZIS-3? With the exception of the internal spacers, yes. Okay. Uh, let me explain. Yes, please the, the, do. The, <laughs> people... When they think about anti-tank guns, you know, the Germans had the 37 millimeter pack 36, the 50 millimeter pack 38, and then the 75 millimeter pack 40. And in typical German fashion, that cartridge got scaled up as you went up the, the caliber, right? It's just right. it's a little bigger than that one. This one's a little bigger than that one. The reason the ZIS-2, the 57 millimeter gun, packs such a punch, it is it was at the time the most lethal Soviet anti-tank gun because the, the ZIS-3 was a regimental gun. It had both direct fire and indirect fire capability. The ZIS-2 was an anti-tank gun only. It used the same cartridge as the ZIS-3 and it necked down at the end for the smaller warhead. So it had the same propellant load as the 76 millimeter gun. I did not know that. And Man, it's, fi- that was- it's, it's firing this much smaller warhead at a much higher velocity because it's, huh. it's this, the same amount of powder is pushing a smaller mass. So, well, that explains why they could both use the same, the same uh, ammo box. other than the internal spacers, right? The same, same size ammo box. Everything up to the warhead was exactly the same. Wow. Learn something new. Well, you know, this is mini art. So first off, if you build a closed box, it has six pieces. <laughs> Top, bottom, front, back, and the ends. Six pieces. God. If you have an open box, you have 11 parts in this thing before you put the first round of ammunition in it. <sighs> if you put the ammo in, you're up to 19 or 20, depending on which piece of ammunition you're putting in the open box. That 
that that truly is a little model kit all its own. Right? <laughs> it's, a li- it's a little model kit all its own. And if you build them closed and you want to put the stenciling on it, there are three decals on a closed box. And if you have an open box, there's a fourth decal that goes on the inside of the open lid. So there's four decals and 20 pieces. That's amazing. I mean, there's, is, there's 70 second scale aircraft that don't have that many parts. Yeah, you you are correct. I was thinking <laughs> I have built, I've built some 700 scale submarines that don't have that many parts. So those have been interesting just to get them together has been, been fun to get them square. I mean, it's, it's a lot of tedious work, but I, I got four, I'm doing four of them. I got them together, two open, two closed for my little vignette. Uh, the other thing I've been struggling with is the color. Uh, and I was grousing about this on our last virtual build night with our Canadian friends just a few days ago. And, you know, once you get a technique down, old wood, weathered wood is not so hard, in my opinion, to get a kind of good look to. Uh, new wood is tougher, I'm finding out. And these ammo boxes should be pretty bright, new birch lumber. And I just kept feeling like they were they were too too gray, too weathered, too weather beaten looking. Uh, so I spent like six hours painting one of these ammo boxes yesterday, Saturday and finished it up yesterday. I actually finished up this morning. These things weren't sitting around in storage for years, turning ashy and gray, like, you know, like your, your fence out in your yard, right? They were, they, right. were, they were new. They went from the factory to the front out of new lumber and, they just need to look fairly fresh, but still have enough shading and highlighting to pop all the detail on them. Hell, I might do one or two in green just to just to save my sanity because it's kind of an arduous thing to get this where I wanted it. But I've gotten one done. It's all painted, finished, and decaled, and it's ready to go on a, the diorama when it's when it's ready. But uh, okay, another, I, I, I have to a- have to stop you and ask: Green? Did they actually paint? Bother to paint? Yeah, some of, some of them were painted on the outside green. Now, there's still natural wood on the inside, so I'm not sure that's going to save me much time if I do an open one in green. But uh, Yeah, I was going to say, closed one in green, if that's the case. But really, I, I, am, I, I don't know why it surprises me, but it surprises me that the Russians would take the time to actually paint some of those things. I don't know. The other, the other hurdle has been decaling over the wood grain. And dang, is that... that uh, it's been kind of tough and, you know, I signed up for this, you know, and a listener and a listener made it happen. So I'm wondering if I got more than I bargained for. <laughs> well, I've got to say the one you posted on, uh, on Facebook looks great. I really, why, why do you think the new wood look is so tough? It's just easier to, to do the more weather because you have your, your, I think your color spectrum can vary more and you can use darker colors. And in the end, in the end, when it's all said and done, it may not be, but it just is for me right now because I've only thought about the one way of doing it. And, and then all of a sudden that wasn't working out. So I was like, well, I need to back up and kind of strip this back. Maybe start a whole lot lighter and not use such dark washes and, and see what, see what I can do with that. And I kind of like the way it turned out. So it's going good. Good. One down three to go. Decaling over wood grain, man, a lot of solva set on there. <laughs> is, is it, did you have to resort to the solva set? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. And then uh, the, the the thing is, the, these the light colored ammo boxes, you're not going to know the decal silvered until you flat coat it. Yeah, it's yeah. Just so so hard to see. And uh, I I must admit, I did a pretty good job. There were a couple little spots I went back and had to prick again after it dried after I flat finished them. And uh, really, I just had to 
pierced the hole and mashed, mashed the film down with a knife and it went away. So I really didn't have to put any more Solvacet on there. So very, very tiny. I, if I didn't have the Optivisor on, I'm not sure you would have seen it, but you know, sure enough, you put it out there and the light in the contest room catches it just right. And exactly. <laughs> the whole thing goes for naught at that point. <laughs> well, it's, it's certainly personally disappointing to you. Oh, um, certainly, certainly. Now this model, it's going to be a while because the, I mean, the devil's in the details and I'm in the details now. So it's going to be a while before it's completed. I'm seriously considering putting one of these ammo boxes on a tiny little base and entering <laughs> a miscellaneous category at the Cincinnati show. <laughs> I, I think, I think you are entered as a vignette. 135th scale Soviet 57 millimeter ammo box. Yeah. Why not? I don't know. Now, and then the, the, the final thing I'll say about this is, is the ammunition itself. I want to go the whole nine yards here. So I want to use the the casing markings, which there's decals for in the in the set, and decals over metallic that have a carrier film that's wider than the image. That's a real joy, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Uh, so I threw it out to the our Majovians out on on our Facebook page, and of all the s- stuff that came back, Scott Demick out of New Jersey made a suggestion, a, a good suggestion that I'm gonna gonna give a shot to, and I, I want to give a shout out to Scott. Um, I've known Scott since the late eighties. Uh, I answered a letter he had written to the old military modeler magazine, their mail call section or ask Sarge or something. I can't remember what it was called about scale drawings for some version of the Panther tank. I don't remember what it was. I think the Panther two or the Panther F one of those. And, uh, we've been in contact more or less ever since. And that was gosh, 30 some years ago at this point. That. That's amazing. That's yeah. that's great that you all could stay in contact that that amount of time. Yeah. So you know, we, out in the model sphere, we'll we'll cross paths every now and then, you know, with some regularity. And and I see him posting. I'm sure he sees me posting on other stuff too. But uh, he suggested, uh, I think, using uh, Mr. Color Super Metallic Silver with a clear coat over top of that of yellow and orange, or a combination of the two, to to bring that up to a brass color. Uh, I want to give this a try, and I'll try it on the seventy six millimeter shells and decals first to kind of get a technique down. But uh, this seems like a good way to get that decal film hidden to me. Yeah, I think you're right. I can put the marking on the silver and then top coat all of it because the, the markings right. are, are black. So they're not going to be affected so much by the, by the clear coats. Right. And it'll uh, help to blend the edge of the decal. And uh, yeah, it will. So Scott, thanks, man. Appreciate it. I'll give it a shot and we'll see how it goes. That's my bench time, man. That's a lot. That is that you. So like I said, you were in, been very active the last two weeks as far as that goes. All right. I I have not been as active. I I did uh, when we got back from from Vegas. I was all pumped up, and my mojo was good. And I have to chip the M thirty, and I still have not gotten the testicular fortitude to do so, but. I'm going to make myself do it. The mosquito is halfway through the paint shed, and uh, I've got to get back to that. But what what kind of fired me up when we got back from Vegas was the TU-128 that I've been working on uh, just in the beginning stages uh, to have the construction since both the M30 and the mosquito are in the, are in the painting process. And... Uh, you know what? Uh, I, I made some good progress, particularly the other night. The entire cockpit is assembled and installed. And uh, this is one of those kits where you have to trap 
the landing gear in in the kit as you assemble it, so you can't install it later. And I always hate that, and I'm always fearful of uh, of destroying that. But uh, I got that uh, cockpit installed, that front section done, and I had some revelations uh, that we'll talk about in just a bit, just a little bit about that experience. So. But I am making progress, not just as much as Mike's, uh, but in on the plus side, my 72nd scale TU-128 cockpit is bigger than his uh, ammo boxes. <laughs> not by much. Not by, well, yeah, no, by a fair piece. I'll bet you, because the TU-128 is a big darn aircraft. Yeah, this is. This is, I, w- I would bet this is three, almost four ammo boxes long. Okay. 35th scale ammo boxes long. Is that it? Uh, that's where I stand right now. I thought you'd be fired up to finish that mosquito after you got back. I I am kind of, but uh, I I when I got back from Vegas, the the thing that was was itching me was a kit assembly, the construction side rather than the painting side. Uh, okay. So oh, and plus, well, you know this. I don't know that I've actually mentioned it on the podcast. Uh, my, my 25, 28 year old, uh, Badger 150 that I have used religiously for the last 25 or 28 years or however long it was, um, passed to the great beyond right before the night before the nationals, before we left for the nationals, uh, the, uh, neck where the air supply comes in to the uh, airbrush body, the brazing or welding finally gave way and broke apart. And to be honest with you, I thought for at least a few minutes about boxing it all up, sending it in with $12.50 to Badger, because they'll recondition your brush once a year for the cost of postage. And, uh, you know, so I thought, you know, what the heck, I'd do that. But then I thought, no, you know what? They gave me 28 years of good service. So I went online and I ordered a new new Badger 150 body, and it's just not here yet. I'm wait, I'm a, a little bit on hold on the painting side because of that. Because uh, while I do have three other airbrushes, uh, the 150 is probably the brush to do that kind of larger work with. All right, man. Is that what you got? That's what I got. It's faves and yawns this, this episode. Well, I've got several faves and yawns. Oh, good. I got a few myself. Well, I'll let you start. What's your first fave? <sighs> As we all know from listening to previous episodes of Plastic Model Mojo, I'm a, I'm a decal-holic. Uh, I have 500 plus sheets of decal sheets, uh, and I can't resist good decal sheets. One of my favorite manufacturers is a company out of, I think, the Czech Republic or Slovakia. It's somewhere Central Europe called DP Casper. And they've just released four new sheets one for Vietnam helicopters one for India, Pakistan, China, one for uh, the Portuguese during their colonial period in Africa, and then one on the Indian Tamil, uh, the Tamil Tiger conflict 
So they're great sheets, and I'm, I'm, I, w- I, I will admit now I have no ability to resist them. So I'm going to end up with more decal sheets. So what fave did you see? Well, I, I mentioned it not on our podcast, but I think uh, with Stuart. Is that 4A Models 172nd scale S38 Schnellboat? Yes. Uh, we saw this at Vegas at the Merritt International Table. It's a super looking kit. Uh, it popped up finally two weeks post Nats on the modeling news, just a day or today or yesterday. Yeah. Uh, so folks can go check it out. I'm gonna be all over this one like white on rice, man. It's uh, just a, it's a great I looking agree. kit. I, I I told you, you know the the Airfix kit's not an easy one to find sometimes and it's, you know, it's an old kit, so it's not that It is a very anyway. difficult build. Uh, and then I just don't like the styling of the, the Ravel one, the later snow. Right. The, the armored, uh, conning tower. Yes. Uh, bridge. So this one's still a little yacht looking like the, like the Airfix one. Yes. And, uh, that's just a man. It was awesome looking. So yeah, I'm going to be getting one of these for sure. Yeah. And well, my advice would be when you buy one, hold off at least a little bit building, because if it's anything like the S100, uh, there's going to be a bloody bloody ton of aftermarket, or at least that advice might have been my advice to you before we get to our special subject in just a little bit. What you got next? Uh, my next one is, uh, now this is one for the 48 scale guys. So I want at least a little credit for thinking about those guys as well. Um, model civet out of the Ukraine has announced a 48 scale Mirage four. Now the Mirage four looks like a Mirage three that was put on a steroid program. It was the uh, French nuclear bomber, the nuclear strike bomber, but it just looks like a bigger version of a Mirage 3 with a different cockpit and the wings moved up a little bit. Uh, it's a really attractive airplane. Uh, and for years, there was only the old um, Heller kit to do. I think Model Civet announced it in 72nd scale a while ago, and now they are announcing it in 48 scale. So that that in 48 scale is going to be a honking big aircraft, so I cannot wait for the 48 scale guys to get a hold of it and get them built. What's your next one? Chino Models out of Japan. <laughs> I know, I know <laughs> why this one is. It is weird the stuff you find on the internet, isn't it? It is, and, and you know this wasn't just some lucky find. It well, I guess it sort of was. Uh, Terry Ashley from uh, Perth Military Modeling Site on his Facebook page put a blurb from this company up dealing with some thirty-fifth uh, scale three D printed USM uh, one helmets with the liners and everything in them, and they were, they were pretty sharp. Uh, so. I don't do a lot of GI figures. I'm like, well, surely this isn't all they make. So I, you know, use that as a jumping off point to dig into Chino models a little deeper and spell Chino, uh, C H I N O. So it might be Chino. I don't know. Chino, Chino. I don't know. Anyway, they have a handful of offerings right now. 3d printed 
stuff and it's kind of all over the place. They've got like a modern, uh, like a chest cooler or something like that. And they've got, uh, these GI helmets. And the thing I found that picked my interest is they make a set of workable tracks for the Polish TKS tankette in 35th scale. Now they're not the snap together variety. I think you have to, you know, break them off the carrier and then assemble them with brass pins. But, uh, I jumped on those real quick and they've got kind of a jinky Japanese version of Etsy or I, that's the only, my best way to describe it. Well, they, they've got a third party payment processor. Oh, and, and, cool. uh, it's not just a payment processor. No, the payment processor is PayPal or credit cards. Right. Well, no, that's, that's how you make your payment. It's a third party web, uh, web store. Web store. Yeah. Kind of like Etsy. That's what yeah. Etsy is in the United States anyway. Uh, anyway, I, I got these and, and I'm sure you're going to get yourself a set too. Uh, they were ordered this afternoon. Thank you very much, sir. So hopefully we'll see when these show up and we'll yeah. have to offer a verdict in the end. Uh, <laughs> they've also got 3d printed human ears in 35th scale. Yes. I said 3d printed human ears. Uh, I, I guess these are upgrades for the plastic figures because usually the ears are, or figures kind of fall short. Uh, we'll have to see how that goes. So Chino models out of Japan. That's my that's my fave right now. Well, my next one is um, as, as you might remember at Wonderfest, I picked up a thirty fifth scale model of the Russian Sputnik satellite. It's by a company called Red Iron Models. Well, they have announced a Sputnik four and a Sputnik five, the Soviet. Uh, crew capsules in 35th scale to go along with it. And these kits are multimedia because they're not only injection plastic, but they've got photo etch, they've got brass tubing. Um, and I was impressed by the red iron, the red iron uh, Sputnik enough that when I saw these, I'm like, yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll, I think I'll be getting them. Well, I'm all out of faves. Do you have a yawn? I do. Okay. Tory models or Tory factory? Yes. Diorama accessories. Yeah. I've got I've got another set of 35th scale toilets. Darn you. you <laughs> Actually, not only toilets, you're not doing it enough justice. Uh, okay, yeah, okay. So in this box, there are two urinals, a western toilet, and an yeah. eastern, I guess, also known as a squatty potty. Right. And a sink. Yep. And I think you get two two of each. So big box of bathroom accessories. And darn you, because I was going there too. Uh, I just, I, I think they'll be great accessories. I really do. And I think somebody's going to use them in really fun ways. And I can't wait to see it. Uh, I can see the, the toilet stuff being a little more useful than the one that was going to be my yawn, which was the water dispenser. <laughs> they have... The classic office water cooler, you know, with the blue bottle that's turned upside, five gallons of water turned upside down on one of those white body plastic dispensers with a couple of, you know, a hot and cold tap. And then they give you, they, they give you a tall version of it, a short version of it. And I don't know how many of the, I think they give you both an empty and a full bottle because they're slightly different colors, but 
who's doing an office diorama? Somebody is. I mean, we're in the golden age, man. What do they think of next? That's true. But I mean, it was just there. Who knows? Maybe these guys are going to make money off of doing this. Oh, you do get four bottles. All right. All right. Um, well, I can't wait. I can't wait for the ammo by MIGS solution box for the for the toilets. <laughs> oh, God, no. No, 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 no. I do not need that in my, I need that picture in my head. Uh, we make light, but it's it's all in fun. It's just oh, it is. some of the things that are surprising out there. Yep. Again, it's the gold, golden age in modeling. That's right. You can get anything you want in 35th scale just about now. Yep. And then some. Anything else? Well, uh, that's it for, for faves and yawns for me. Do you have another yawn? I do not. That's it for the segment. I think I, that one, I can't top that one. No, no, I don't think so. (laughs) Well, our special segment tonight is, uh, aftermarket. It's not all an upgrade. That's exactly right. (laughs) Well, start us out, Dave. You wanted to do this one. Yeah, I did because I, I have a thesis. So all of you listeners out there, I want your input on on my thesis. Um, my thesis is that sometimes aftermarket can be the graveyard of modeling. This TU-128 that I was building, this is how this all came about. This TU-128 I was building, I'm building it because it there's n- no finish other than a bare metal finish. I want to get better at bare metal finishes. What's my plan to do to get better? That's to do a model of a bare metal finish. So my plan was to build this out of the box. I'm just going to build it out of the box. I'm going to, you know, correct any uh, little errors that I can just by ending the assembly process. But I'm not upgrading it. I'm not aftermarketing it. I'm not doing any of that. And then, and things are going along well. I mean, getting a finish good enough to to uh, to put a bare metal finish on is hard. So I was working with techniques to do that, and also rescribing, which is the other thing I wanted to get better at. Um, so I'm going along building this TU-128 slowly, admittedly, but I'm building it. And I look down. And I have an Edward photo etch cockpit set. Well, it's a photo etch set, but the photo etch set has, among other things, colored cockpit, all the panels and instrument panels. You know, it's got the multi, the multi part instrument panel where you can sandwich the instruments over, uh, under the dial faces and uh, then. Uh, you know, pick them out with future to make them look like they've got glass fronts. You can do that. Now, my plan was to was to simply close the cockpit. So you can't see much of anything in a TU-128 cockpit. So my, cl- my plan was to close the canopies. I'm, I'm not going to do anything fancy. But I thought, you know what? The, this Edward photo etch set looks good. And, you know, I've got it. Why not go ahead and just add it to the cockpit, put it in just for fun, for 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 giggles. If, if you don't like the way it looks, you're still closing the, the canopy, no worse for wear. And if you like it, who knows, maybe you can crack one of the canopies up and, and give at least a little look in. Well, I put the, the photo etch in. It looked really good. And... 
then I went to assemble it and realized that by using aftermarket parts, they were different in shape and size and thus made what was originally a very nice fit much less nice. And then I further realized that because Edward did a much more accurate front instrument panel than Trumpeter did, the Edward panel was different in shape. And it was going to mean that the kit windscreen wasn't going to fit over the, the instrument panel anymore. And that's at that point that I realized that by adding aftermarket when I didn't need to, when I didn't intend to, that wasn't the point of this kit, was not the most tricked out TU-128 on the planet, I was making my own life a lot harder. And in doing so, I can I look looking back, I can see times where I've after, added aftermarket, had it cause problems, and then actually consign the kit to the shelf of shame. So I'm not convinced that sometimes we modelers don't, by resorting to aftermarket, sometimes sabotage our own our own progress and our own enjoyment of the hobby. Now I'm not saying all aftermarket's bad. I'm not saying that there the heck there's better aftermarket companies and worse. And I think one of the things you have to do is get to learn who's good and who's bad, whose stuff fits, um, you know, and and aftermarket is designed for particular kits. And if you use it on another kit or a kit of the same thing from another manufacturer, it can, it can mess you up as well. It's just, I'm not sure that adding aftermarket is always a plus, is always an upgrade. I think uh, I can empathize with that I, more so. Well, in the engineering world, we call that scope creep on a project. Yes. That's what kind of happened to you. Cause you, you kind of violated your own uh, mantra for what that kid was supposed to be. Right. Yep. Absolutely. So, I yeah. did it to myself. <laughs> Whereas if you said, I want this to be the best detailed model I can do of this subject. And you're all in at the front and you bought all the aftermarket. Uh, that's a little different. It's still yes. going to be st- still might st- still might be hard. Yes. But uh you you kind of you're on a path you intended to be going down. Right. Well now and this isn't quite as relevant for a modeler who builds like you do. Okay? Because you generally Airfix Bofors is a, is kind of an exception, but you don't normally build out of the box. You don't I mean, you're very comfortable with taking three or four three or four kits and aftermarket and all that stuff and you know taking whatever works so you're 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 as part of your modeling enjoyment you enjoy some of the challenges whereas with me sometimes I'm a kit assembler and I just want to get the kits together and you want your aftermarket to work in its yes. entirety I and mean, that's not it, a- exactly and that's not an unreasonable expectation, I don't think, for for a lot of stuff. It's it it doesn't work out that way a lot of times, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I'll, I'll cherry pick. You know, it 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 throws me back to that SU seventy six I built that old Allen kit ages ago, and that kit was a a dog, and 
there was an aftermarket set from uh, the old Commander series line. I think they're actually still in business, but they're not not like they were anyway. Right. Uh, and then there was a, an Edward photo etch set for it. And the Commander set had some resin bits and some photo etch in it. I think I ended up, you know, I used a little bit of the Commander series because a lot of it just wasn't very good. You know, I, I built, the, I, I, if you remember, I built the entire... Uh, rear fighting compartment as a module you could just drop in the back of the the allen kit because that's what they the commander series had done it just theirs wasn't very good and it also didn't address the fact that the the, the vehicle was the interior was too short because they hadn't accounted for the thickness of the plastic uh to when they built their interior kit this upgrade for it so I, you know, I was like, well, I'm just going to scratch build this part because I think I can. But uh, then I picked and choose a, a very small amount of the photo etch off what came in the commander set, and then there, the Edward set was a whole, a whole another situation. I ended up using like the tie downs and tool clamps from that set, uh, some of the engine screens maybe, uh, but the ammo storage, they weren't really lockers, but the ammo racks that went into the right. into the fighting compartment were just photo etched copies of what was in the Allen kit as far as shape and form <laughs> were, were concerned, which were totally, totally inaccurate. Not yeah. didn't look like the real thing at all. Uh, the ones in the commander series set, they had gotten it the shape, right? But the fold lines would come and go on a part and it was, you, you couldn't put them together. They were just not usable. Uh, well- you bring up a good point there. That is one of the one of the things that with aftermarket can be particularly infuriating where you buy something that's aftermarket which is supposedly an upgrade or accurizer of the kit and all they've done is copy the mistake that the plastic manufacturer made. It's just thinner now. Yeah. A more a more a more realistic thickness of something that didn't really exist. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, I'll tell you, and another, another aftermarket one I've run into, um, I bought a bunch of, gosh, who were they? CMK did that mm-hmm. whole, whole series of hot barrels. Those, those resin yes. outlets with the aluminum, turned aluminum barrels. Yep. Um, I got a lot of those and I don't know if it happened after I bought them or if they were packaged that way, but, uh, the resin parts of those things had shrunk so much that the barrels wouldn't even fit in them anymore. There, there is, there, therein lies another aftermarket challenge. These aftermarket manufacturers, sometimes, you know, you, you get, you, we are in the golden age of modeling. So with rare exception, modern model kits fit together like they're supposed to generally. When you're talking about aftermarket, particularly things like resin, uh, uh, where it's subject to shrink. You can have a manufacturer that doesn't have that same level of quality control, and you can end up with something like that. In the uh, in the aircraft world, oh gosh, I cannot remember the name of the manufacturer, but there was one manufacturer who made these gorgeous, just a line of gorgeous replacement interiors for aircraft. And absolutely none of them fit the kits that they were intended for. <laughs> I mean, you could finish them out and they were beautiful as heck. And you couldn't jam, you couldn't sand your way into making them fit 
in the kit that they were intended for. And boy, I know a lot of guys who who got to that point in the project grew frustrated and just uh, just quit building because I do, and that that goes back to my thesis that these things some kind sometimes can be kit killers, even to keep you from getting off the out of the starting blocks. I've got a couple projects I can think of that are in my stash that uh, are kind of photo etch intensive, and that's the one thing that's keeping me from starting them. I haven't done enough of that to feel confident to. Uh, to go for it. And, and the, the things are so intensive along those lines that uh, it's not the one you want to learn on. So are you telling me that Ian's wrong and photo etch is not your friend? Uh, it's probably his friend if he's building ships. Yeah. You know, some people, yeah. some people uh, are better skilled at it than others, have a lot more practice, a lot more patience, a, a lot more understanding of the, 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 the pitfalls and limitations. And I just think, you know, that's something you can learn, I guess. Yeah. Because that's that's kind of a hard skill, so I think that one's you know not so artistic. You can actually it's a ma- manipulation of a mechanical part, so uh, you can learn to do it. I think, but it's God, can it be frustrating? Because you know it's like super glue sticks to everything, but photo etch when you want it to. God, yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it just uh, and you can fold it, you know, some tiny little part, and you can fold it up, and then all it takes is one little mispressure with the tweezers and it orbits into space. But, uh, you know, it just, I'm not saying don't use aftermarket. I'm not saying I'm not happy with aftermarket. What I am saying is be actively conscious of what after what you're going to do and does may using aftermarket really make sense. And if you do want to trick it out and you do want aftermarket, you take a, Look at the aftermarket with a critical eye because not all aftermarket is an improvement over what's in the kit. Uh, I don't care how much of an improvement it it is. If If it doesn't fit the kit, if you can't make it fit, or if it's so hard to make fit that it just absolutely uh, kills your progress in the underlying model, then then maybe it's not worth it's not worth doing that you know i, I think in, in in today's world a lot of it's gotten a lot better oh absolutely absolutely uh, i agree i mean back in the late 80s and 90s when all this stuff started coming around um there's some gems out there but a lot of it was it was good but it wasn't great and it required a lot of work i mean like you know mostly my experience is armor centric so you might have some well-rendered shape-wise, some complex conversion for a particular armor vehicle or, or a complete kit in resin that didn't exist in plastic. And just about every rivet would be an air blister, a, a, you know, a bubble. Right. And you're like, oh, wow. <laughs> what I gain from buying this? Because I think by the time I f- fix all those rivets that aren't there, I might have could have done the whole thing. So, right, you could have scratched the whole thing with sheet plastic and and a rivet slicer. Uh, and I think you know, photo etch the sets have gotten a lot better, a lot better engineered. Um, the, the newer Ed, Edward sets are a lot better than those first generation ones from their first first go around on some of those su- subjects. And I agree. Com- companies like Voyager out there have got some really comprehensive and some really nice sets too. Oh yeah, Royal does some amazing photo etch. Oh yeah. Um, but again, 
the thing with photo etch, and this is again uh, applies to aftermarket more generally, is is what you're trying to add in aftermarket appreciably better than what's on the kit in its current form. And with photo etch, a lot of times the answer is no because you're they're they're trying to have you replace a 3D object with 2D photo etch. So their replacement isn't really an improvement on on the 3D item on the original kit. Now another another aircraft one that you well, I think you see it more overdone on aircraft than you do the same kind of replacement parts on armor models, but the, the weighted wheels. Yes. Sometimes those are, man, those tires look flat to me. <laughs> there, b- believe it or not, that is, that is something that you see discussed sometimes because some, an aircraft has weight. And so in theory, the tires are showing somewhat of a bulge at the bottom where the weight rests. But in particularly like in 72nd scale, it is quite easy for a manufacturer to attempt to recreate that bulge. And in doing so, because in scale, it would be the width of a, you know, not much more than a human hair's difference. They over bulge the tire and you're, you're right. The thing looks like it's sitting on flats. But, you know, there's a lot of, of great decal companies out there putting stuff out. Um, yes. The, the resin one, I, I, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know where that's going. You see a lot, a lot of more 3D printed stuff c- coming in, and some of that's good and some of it's not. Uh, I've learned that the hard way. And, <laughs> and, you know, a lot of the resin stuff I'm seeing is actually pretty stinking good. Um, resin, in my opinion has the most variability and the single biggest variable is the care and attention to detail paid by the manufacturer. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Uh, in, in the aircraft world, uh, uh, there's manufacturer Barracuda cows, Roy Sutherland and Roy does a lot of resin wheels, some resin cockpits and, and, and Roy has done resin casting for years and years uh, throughout the, the his time in the hobby. And the thing that makes his stuff so good is the attention to detail that you don't, you're not going to open up one of his resin sets and get something that's, um, that's wonky looking. The casting is so crisp. There's not, there's almost no cleanup to it. And, there not every resin manufacturer is like that, and I think that that has a lot to do with the manufacturer itself, the the person who's doing the the resin manufacturing and taking the time and paying the attention. You you almost have to be a perfectionist to to put out really good resin castings. Sometimes the cost so high, the gain so low, man. Yep, absolutely, and you don't want it killing your killing your mojo on your kit. But I like it. I got a big old box of it. <laughs> oh, oh, listen, first of all, decals. Yeah. I got a huge number of aftermarket decals. Of course, in general, as long as the manufacturer is a good manufacturer, the decals, you don't run into some of the same challenges with res as with resin and photo ad. But yeah, I've got drawers full of resin 
and drawers full of photo etch. So, and, and I can guarantee you that some of them are less than perfect quality, but at the time I acquired them, I thought I wanted them. Now, whether I'll actually use them on a kit, maybe I'm getting a little bit more discerning about that and whether it's really necessary and whether it would improve the look of the model and and not impede my enjoyment in building the model. All the listeners out there, let's hear some of your aftermarket experiences, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and see what, uh, see what other folks thought think about this topic. I like it. I like aftermarket. I think it's fun to explore. And, and uh, when you find something cool, you're quick to buy it. Like these TKS tracks, we'll see how that turns out. Yes. Um, uh, just right into the show. Tell us what you think. Well, Dave, since there are special segments done, uh, we think of this Texas bourbon. Well, I tell you, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I may have to do, (laughs) I may have to do a little more sipping. Um, um, I gave myself a good pour and I'm about, oh, I bet three quarters of the way through it. I'm trying to describe what the notes are. And it is a little, for 47% alcohol, it tastes a little hotter than, than, that alcoholic percentage, it tastes to me more like 50% or 100 proof. Oh, yeah, um, I, I agree. It's got some notes that I don't exactly know how to describe, uh, one of which is kind of lemony. Do you get I, lemony? No, I think the, the, the dominating one is the, the leather note that you often read about on, on bourbon bourbon reviews. So this one's got a, a lot of leather up front. Yes, it I, does. I, I don't know what in the process gives it that flavor. I'd be curious to know, but uh, I like it, but I think it is pretty, pretty hot for the, for the proof. Uh, that's why yes. I made the comment about getting some water before our, our model paint solutions ad. It's enjoyable. Like I said, it's my first bourbon from outside of Kentucky ever in all the time I've been drinking bourbon, but uh, I'm definitely going to have to have another glass of it just to, just to wrap my mind around it. So I may, who knows in a future episode, I may have more comments on it, but uh I, I see where you you talk about the leathery the 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 leather forward uh, note in it, and you're right; it's there, as is the heat. Well, it got us to the end. Yes, it did. <laughs> it got us successfully to the end. So, um, do you have any shout outs? I do, and I want to say that uh, Plastic Model Mojo is brought to you in part this episode by Christopher and Matt. Thanks, guys, for your continued support of the show. Uh, Folks who'd like to contribute to our show can do so at www.plasticmodelmojo.com. There's a heart icon in the upper right-hand corner of our webpage, and that is a direct one-time PayPal contribution. So thanks, guys. We appreciate it. Also want to say that uh, we had a couple, maybe three, maybe four people, uh, listeners we met at Las Vegas, uh, were asking to kick off a Patreon page to make this kind of easier, instead of having to go, if they're going to make a recurring contribution. So uh, look for that to be announced on our Facebook page very soon. I've got that set up. Now, there's not going to be a bunch of special content kind of Patreon page. This is just to help serve folks who who have a desire to uh, have a reoccurring contribution. So it could lead to that in the future, but I'm making no promises. So look for a Patreon kickoff uh, maybe this week, maybe next. But uh, that should that should help some folks out who ask for it. So thanks, thanks folks, for the contributions. It's, it helped us, uh, helps us out every month. Thank you. Very much so. Um, my shout out is uh, I got an email from Gordon Ensing. 
up at the IPMS West, West Michigan IPMS chapter. They are holding their model contest. They call it the first Great Lakes Challenge Model Contest, and it's being held at the West Michigan Aviation Academy, uh, and they're holding the contest in conjunction with the Academy. Uh, it's going to be October 2nd, 2021, at the West Michigan Aviation Academy in Grand Rapids, Michigan. You can you can email Mr. Ensing at gordy914 at att.net for more information on the contest. And if you're up in that area uh, on the weekend of October 2nd, go check them out. Support the local contests. Uh, my other shout outs to contest too, Dave. Okay. Our own show. Folks here in our region, Region 4 of the IPMS, uh, our show, the Military Modelers Club of Louisville, is uh, hosting our, I guess, our delayed invitational since we canceled, yes. canceled one in 2020. Yeah. Uh, this show is September September 25th. And uh, where's the best place to get the information for that one, Dave? I think our, our webpage? Yes, our webpage, which is uh, www.mmcl.org, or you can email our, you can email the podcast and we can point you in the, uh, in the right direction. But uh, it would be great to see as many people in the area who listen at that show as possible. Well, uh, I want to give another shout out to uh, Mr. Rob Booth for providing tonight's uh, uh, modeling fluid. Uh, it's a new experience for me. You know, I, like I said, I've never, never had a bourbon from outside, manufactured outside of Kentucky. And I want to thank all the folks who come by and dropped off something uh, at the, the national convention or have mailed it to us. Uh, we appreciate those things. You all don't have to do that, but they're very nice gestures. And, and it's good. It's a good feeling that you all get enough enjoyment out of the podcast that you want to say thanks in some way. And so uh, I've got to, got to thank Rob for a new experience here. All right. I think we're at the end, Dave. I think we are, man. We just got to keep the mojo alive. That's right. As they say, so many kits, so little time, Mike. See you soon. Good night. Good night.